0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. to get into the Word, and I'm looking forward to that this morning, uh, mainly because it's, it's always a, a good thing to do. I mean, I think the Word of God is the power of God to save for all who believe in it. And the word save there is, is a wonderful thing. It's not just when uh, we're born again that we're saved, but God is constantly saving us from the error of our ways and leading us and guiding us. And it's a wonderful thing to consider, and you can really stretch your brain in some pretty funky directions when you consider, one, the absolute permanent work of the blood of Jesus, and then, two, uh, the absolute fluid work of the Holy Spirit in your life, where you have, like, this wonderful work in your spirit that's done, that's absolute, that's complete, that's finished. And then you have this work in progress that's in your soul, you know, in your thought life, in your mind, and lived out through your actions and your body. And that's a work where when we come together and pursue continued discipleship, we see the Spirit of God leading us and guiding us in the direction that we should go. So as we get into the word here, here's a few things that you should look forward to. I look forward to them. I I think they're fantastic. Uh, One is going to be the reason for the nativity. I mentioned before that I was pretty, you know, obsessed with the nativity as a child and even into my adult years, in fact, you know, uh, in my office uh, previously, and in, in, in I was pastoring in a church in Oklahoma, uh, there was a, a painting of the nativity that stayed up year-round in that office. In fact, in that home, there was a painting of the nativity that stayed up year-round because it's such a, a big part of my life that it just made sense to leave it up. And uh, I think that there's reason for that, and, and we're going to see the reason for the nativity in the first place to see the importance behind it in just a, a single scripture as we open up. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is who Jesus is. I mean, that's a, that's a really great thing to find. I had a friend of mine lead a service here, and he made a comment that just cracks me up because he was leading around, you know, what we would call Resurrection Sunday, or, or you know, I mean, uh, most people would use a term like Easter Sunday or something along those lines. But he was leading a service at that time, and, and he made the comment, you know, every year about this time you'll see, like, Time Magazine or something has this, you know, silhouette with a question mark in it. Who is Jesus? You know, I thought that's really funny because I've seen that magazine cover. But we're going to see in the scripture uh, who Jesus is. And the third thing we're going to find is who you are. And that's a very important thing to know, who you are. It's very important to come into the awareness of who you are as uh, uh, one of the wonderful saints. So, as we get into the word here, I mentioned we're going to find the reason for the nativity. I want to jump right in there. If you have your Bibles, Gospel of John, chapter 10, I want to look at verse 10. Now, some of you might be struggling to open up your, uh, your Bible app on your phone. I assure you, labors have been uh, uh, put forth to restore the uh, Wi-Fi connection here. Uh, it's been quite an effort. Uh, apparently, we need to cast the devil out of some squirrels that have chewed the lines on some poles down the road or something like that. So, it'd be nice to have that in your back pocket every time something doesn't go right, right? Like I'd love to just be able to say, like get called in to a property and like, well, this job's not complete. And maybe like, it was squirrels, right? No one can argue with that, right? When the the, uh, utility company comes in and says, well, squirrels, you can't argue with it. It's kind of an absolute trump card. So, I need to find my trump card that I can play. Apparently squirrels won't work for me, so. Uh, We're going to find here the reason for the nativity. You're going to have to turn there yourself or maybe pull on your data plan. John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus is speaking, and whenever Jesus is speaking, I I like to put myself in the place where he's speaking to me, because you can kind of read the scripture sometimes and fall into a trap that I would just refer to as once upon a time, right? Or you're reading it like it's a bedtime story or a fairy tale or, or some kind of a, you know, a, a moral piece of writing that's just meant for entertainment literature and maybe having a, some kind of a lesson attached to it. But the reality is this is the word of God spoken to you. It's a really powerful thing to consider. So as you consider these words, consider them being spoken directly to you. And Jesus is speaking to you and he's saying, I came that they might have life and that they might have it. Abundantly. That passage of scripture is one that I think is a really powerful thing to consider, and it's very far removed. You're talking about 30 something years removed from the nativity, but I take that as a very nativity oriented scripture. Not I came to this meeting, right? Not that I came here to preach so that they could have life and have it abundantly. I showed up in this town so that they could have life and have it abundantly. But I came and fulfilled the prophecy to be born through a virgin in Bethlehem so that you might have life and might have it abundantly. I think it's very much a nativity-oriented scripture. And if someone were to ask me, hey, Preston, what's the point of the nativity? I would say abundant life, life in abundance, that God would fulfill his work in his word to see to it that all sin and corruption could be washed away from mankind, and all the resulting captivity and, and the resulting filth that comes from that could be removed and holiness prevail, and then all the wonders of holiness lived out in and through our lives for his glory. Life in abundance. And if we take this into consideration, all of a sudden the nativity is more than just you know a baby be bo- being born and A semi-miraculous way that which some people would say this and others would say that but we all kind of agree that well something happened and so it's a good thing the reality is this is a great thing this is the good news of a great joy that's for all the abundant life that god would bring into our lives through jesus And it's a wonderful thing to consider this when you consider the presence of life and the alternative to life in and through the Scripture. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture, and we're going to go into a little different mode here as we move forward. Uh, These are some passages of Scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. I want to give you uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 30, okay? Now, we're going to see here uh, some conversation that God's having with us about life and about death. I think we could all come into agreement that the opposite of life would be death, yeah. So God's speaking to us, and he's revealing these things to us for a reason. And in Deuteronomy 30, he, he's speaking, and he says, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. I can't help but stop right there and think what an interesting thing that these, these things have an idea or a result yoked to them. Life having with it prosperity and death having with it adversity. I can consider my life and I can break it down into those things. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm drawing breath right now, therefore I'm living. And, And the day that I cease to draw breath would be the day that I would die But when I consider that life and prosperity are yoked together and death and adversity are yoked together, I realize there's been plenty of times in my life where I've been breathing, but there's been a lot of adversity. And so it brings me to an understanding and an awareness that this is more than just a biological statement of life and death. That this is a statement concerning life and death in every aspect of my living. My marriage could know life or death. Raising my sons could know life or death. the, The business that I would put my hand to, the ministry that I'm called to, could know life and prosperity or death and adversity. It's not just about biology. Rather, this is about fruitfulness and productivity or the absence of it. And as God is making this clear to us, he goes on to say, a few things that I believe are worth noting. I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. And the things that I have commanded you today, that command to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply. That's prosperity, by the way. And that the Lord your God may bless you in the land which you're entering in to possess. Now, you continue to read on down to like verse 19, and you're going to see Uh, God's intentions, his desire for you in your life when he says choose life that you may live. It's an interesting thing here. It takes any kind of a a sadistic perspective of this that God is saying, uh, you know, here's this and here's that. Hope you get it right. But rather God is saying there's life and prosperity, there's death and adversity, and it's my heart's desire for you, my son, my daughter, that you choose life. Now, my brain hits the brakes here the, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, because of the weight of the, what's being spoken, the weight of the content of what we just read. Life and death are really how we uh, identify something as important or not important, right? I mean, like, if we were making a decision and it wasn't important, we'd be like, well, it's not life or death, right? right. So the reality is this is really kind of the epitome for us in in. in a level of priority or importance, and we're, it really is indeed a, a life or death matter. So I have to stop and pause and think, you know, I think I ought to get this one right. Uh, my dad used to say, measure twice and cut once. I think that applies to this passage of Scripture. And as you, you look at this passage and you begin to see the things that are attached to it, it, it becomes something that is, is of tremendous importance. And then the reality that we see that this comes down to choice. I mean, I've never really put that much thought into the things that I do. Much of my life is, is very much uh, habitual and, and kind of, you know, action and reaction. But the reality is my life is a series of choices. Nothing has revealed that to me more than my wonderful, lovely wife. There have been times I've been a complete jerk, and she has brought to my attention that that was a choice to which I hate that. I mean, I, I just, I hate the idea that, that was a choice. I want it to be, you know, something that just happened and we can get past it. But when it's identified to me that this was a choice or a decision, that there were other options that weren't selected, and this was the option that was selected, now all of a sudden, guess who's responsible? Me. Me. Interesting thing that God would make life or death a choice for us, prosperity or an adversity a choice for us. It's a wonderful way to remove all responsibility from circumstance or situation. There is no such thing as the devil made me do it. But all of the sudden, responsibility lies on the individual. What an awesome way to lead. That really is freedom and liberty. Everything that we would would try to to put together and all of our efforts governmentally and, and within our households, everything that would be liberty and freedom is summed up right here. It's choice and responsibility. And I think that's a really phenomenal thing. I think that's a powerful thing. And as we consider the prosperity and the adversity that's set before us every day through our lives and the reality that individual responsibility is the answer, I think it brings me to a place where, Father, I want to be individually responsible for my life. I want to see responsibility for the actions and the decisions and the choices that I make. I don't want things to just be fate or circumstantial. I don't want to just go with the flow. I am the flow in my life because you have blessed me by the Holy Spirit with self-control. Not to be controlled by outside circumstances. I want to make my choices and my decisions to lead to life and prosperity. I want to close the door to death and adversity. I want to respond to your heart's desire for my life when you said, Son, choose life that you might live. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And you can see here that life as this choice is a wonderful thing. Now, I mentioned before that this isn't about biology necessarily, and, and I want us to, to look at it from all perspectives, and we're not going to take the time and do a real deep dive into every one of those. I think you'd probably be looking more like a sermon series or something like that in order to have the time to cover some of those things. But I want to consider some things that I see happening in today's culture. Do you think that death has been glamorized in our culture today? Oh, I think absolutely it has. I mean, look at our, our, our media and our entertainment and, and the things that we, I mean, consider something as, as base in theater as Romeo and Juliet, right? Or Oh, how romantic they would die for each other. You see death romanticized and and death put on a pedestal and death celebrated in all kinds of manners that really, I believe, is a scheme of our enemy. To soften us to death, to be desensitized to death. But the scripture says some really interesting and powerful things about death. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture. I want to start with this one, and we're going to probably circle back to this one, and it's from 1 Corinthians 15, 26. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26 says, The last enemy that will be abolished is death. When all of the enemies of the people of God are being tossed into the lake of fire, the last one to go, according to this in Corinthians, is going to be death. That tells me some things, all right? I mean, you can take this passage of Scripture and just kind of camp on it for a second and realize some things that are really worth realizing. First and foremost, in my opinion, death is your enemy, right? Death isn't your friend. That's actually one of the schemes that I begin to see creeping into the world and very much creeping into the church. The idea that that death is in partnership with God to, to be this doorway into eternity. I, I love Pastor Jared for his heart to alter some songs. Let me tell you, I was a worship pastor for a little while, and I think people hated me because every song got butchered. I mean, we would take all these popular songs, and I would be like, well, can't sing that, got to change that, don't like that, because they were, they were so artistic, but they weren't doctrinally sound at all. And, and I've kind of gotten over that and relaxed a little bit to a certain extent, but I love that Pastor Jared was willing to make an adjustment to a song. One of the songs that we would sing had this line in it, death is just a doorway into everlasting life. Wow, that's poetic, isn't it? It's baloney. Death isn't the doorway. Jesus is the door. And he altered the words to that so that it wasn't death is just a doorway, but Jesus, you're the doorway. And you know what? Every time he sings that song, I want to just, yeah, that's right. We're not going to take the bait and fall into the trap that the world is throwing our way to become friends and partners with death. Death is my enemy. Death is the result of sin. The wages of sin is death. Why would I partner with the result of sin when I've been washed clean and purified from all of sin and it's corruption? I want no partnership with death. I'll give you a couple other passages of scripture here. One, just so that you'll have it for your notes, John 10, 9, where Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters, he enters through me and then he will be saved. Right? Death's not the door. Jesus is the door. And in John 14, 6, when Jesus stands and says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and then the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. There's no getting to the Father through death. Only getting to the Father through life, truth, the way, Jesus. Jesus. So I want to give you a few passages of scripture here as we move away from this. Okay, so I mean we've already made that point pretty clear, and I don't think there's any objection, you know. So I want to move in a direction that removes from that, but we're gonna we're gonna go from A to B in, with a transition here. So in transition. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture as Jesus acknowledges death, right? Now, remember, we're talking about the reason for the nativity, right? This is the the season that we're in. You'll drive past people's yards, and they'll have little huts built with babies in them. That's kind of funny, right? But, I mean, they're trying to communicate something. Hey, our king was born. Our deliverer from all sin and captivity was born. He came. God's promise was fulfilled, and we celebrate that. That abundant life. Jesus says this about death in John chapter 8, verse 52. "If anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death." Really powerful promise. You'll find similar statements in Matthew 16:28 and Mark 9:1 and Luke 9:27. I'll give you a, a couple of more that I, I think are worth noting as we, we move in transition here. Uh, Hebrews 2:9. It reads like this. It, it says <clears throat> But we see him who made us for a little while lower than the angels. Namely, that's Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, was crowned with glory and honor so that the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I mean, that's really kind of the point of that passage of Scripture there is the idea that Jesus did go to the cross, that he did offer his life in my place. And what he accomplished in my place was the tasting of death. Why? So that I wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to. So that all who would call upon his name wouldn't have to. Again, we're not talking about things merely biological, because I know people that were breathing and living, and now they've stopped breathing, and their body is deceased. God will raise their body up. That's a promise that we are looking forward to seeing fulfilled But the spirit of this person that was once dead is now alive and alive forevermore. Not being required to taste death and the results of death. The separation from life. But rather we indulge in abundant life. Uh, Here's some great passages of scripture as it concerns this transition moving from A to B. And it comes from the book of Revelation. You're going to have Jesus speaking here. And again, just imagine he's speaking to you. Revelation 1 verse 18. Jesus identifies himself as the living one. Well, that's a good thing, right? It's after the cross. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Now then, here's the real point. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road for you and me. I mean, as far as this passage of verse is concerned, good for you, Jesus. You were dead, and now you're alive. But what does that mean for me? What it means for you is summed up in the following. I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. There's really not a passage of Scripture that we talk a lot about in church, maybe because it just seems weird or or might make people uncomfortable because it's a little mysterious. But the reality is Jesus has all authority. It's what he said when he appeared to his disciples, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me, including the authority over death. It's the reason why believers won't have to engage with death, the entity that is death. And by the way, death is an entity. It's not just an action or an activity. I'll give you a a passage of Scripture that you can lean on for that from the book of Revelation 6.8. Death is identified as one that's riding on a pale horse, right? I think if you can ride on a horse, you're kind of a person, place, thing, or idea, right? You're a noun. You're, You're not an action, You know, you're a noun. And so you see this, and you also see this in Revelation 6, 8 that's worth noting, that as death begins his ride to to wipe out life, it says to him was given the authority to do this. You know what that means? He didn't have it. He didn't have it in the first place. Why didn't he have it? Because Jesus has it. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here as we move forward. I was going to tell you who Jesus is. Well, there's a lot of answers to that in the Scripture. But I want to give you an answer for today's message, and you can take this one uh, for your notes. John 11, 25, and 26. Jesus opens up with, I am, okay? Anytime Jesus opens up with, I am, pay attention to what comes next. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. I mean, that's one that just blows the mind. The fact that one could live even if they die. Jesus is speaking beyond the body, beyond the flesh. That life is more than than breathing and heartbeats, but that life is in your spirit and your soul and your being, who you are. And by the way, don't think that God doesn't care about your body. He cares about it enough to raise it up in the end. He made your body. Your body is precious. It's the reason why, uh, you know, we, our, our efforts to, to be well and to be whole are, are important. I mean, if God didn't care about your body, why would there be the miracle of healing, right? He's interested in your body. He's interested in my body. When Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 11, he's revealing to us who he is. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And it goes on to say this, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Uh, these are the kinds of things that I think are worth noting as we begin to celebrate the birth of our king. I mean, it's more than just an interesting way to be introduced to the world, Right? It's more than just kind of a, a, wow, that's the origin stories of the life of Jesus Christ. But rather, we see the fulfilled promise. Everything when he spoke to Adam, Adam, one will come after you who will crush the head of the serpent. I guarantee, I mean, I feel this way. Now, you have to read between the lines a little bit, and I'm kind of a sucker for that. I read way between the lines. And I like to think that every time... Adam and Eve uh, delivered a baby, and then their children had children, and their children's children had children. He looked at that baby and wondered, Are you the one? Are you the one? Will you crush the head of the serpent? I mean, because there would be anticipation that God would make good on His word, that everything that He said would come to pass. And we see that in the birth of Jesus. And when we see that in the birth of Jesus, it's more than a warm and fuzzy thing to put on a Christmas card. It's more than a sign to put in front of a, a house with lights all around it, even though I think all those things are, are really wonderful. They, they speak the truth to the community in the sense that Jesus has come. My only problem with it is we take them down. I've got to move in the direction that we intended to move in, but I want to stop and I want to read something. If you ever see me open up my Bible, it's because something isn't written down in the notes, and that probably means that it's a bit of a curveball. But I want, to, I want to read this because I think it's really important to add to what we're talking about as it concerns the nativity. The birth of abundant life for you and for me. And I'm going to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd like for you to join me there. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 54. In fir- verse 54, this is you know, where I'm going to begin. You, you see uh, the following revealed. But when this perishable will put on that which is imperishable, and this mortal We'll put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen is right. I've noticed that my uh, emotions have changed in my old age. I'm not one who's, you know, not accustomed to bursting into tears. But there are times when I'll ponder these things and, and I won't have any, you know, sensations other than gratitude or thanksgiving that would be normal for reading such a passage as it concerns me that I'll think about my son's. And I can't help but celebrate that they'll live. I'll think about the people that I know and that I love. I'll think about the people that have already passed on. And I want to just read that passage over and over. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? Thanks be to God for the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Abundant life. I have to think that those wise men that brought their gifts didn't just make that trip so they could see a baby. I think they knew this is life. This is the promise of our God to see to it that not only we live, but our descendants live and those that came before us live. This is the victory over all the corruption that resulted from evil and sin and self-seeking. This is the abundant life. And let me tell you something. I'd lay down all the gold in the world at his feet know that my sons would live. So what is life? I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture. I want to get it together, and I want to see this through because time is short. I want to give you a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of John. What is life? John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things that came into being, came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being, that has come into being. Boy, that's a riddle, isn't it? It's a mouthful. Then verse four, and in him was life, and life was the light of men, and it's the light that shines into the darkness. The darkness cannot overpower it. Man, I want my life to bring light into this world, that abundant life that is Jesus Christ. I want it to radiate from me and all that I say and I do. And it's so sick to think of all the wasted opportunities where provocation prevailed and anger and rage and wrath manifest. What a waste. I want to make the most of every opportunity for life. Every opportunity for Jesus to enter into that darkness and bring about victory. So then the question then, how do we get this? I mean, this is the question that I would have. I mean, I think it's poetic to think that in Jesus' is life, and life is the light of men. Well, I'm a man, I want that light, so how do I get it? I'll give you a passage of scripture for this message. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus, again, spoke to them. Now, remember, he's speaking to you. And Jesus spoke to us, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life everything that was spoken about in John chapter 1. In him was life, and life was the light of men. If I follow Jesus, I will have the light of life. I won't walk in the darkness, but I'll have everything that's promised in the first chapter of John. I want to follow Jesus. I mean, I want to take that passage of scripture, and I want to have it be not just something that is in my prayer life ceremonially, but I want to devote my life to that. Father, today I want to follow Jesus. I want to do the things that he would do. I want to see what he would do, and then I want to do that. I want to hear what he would say, and then I want to say that. I want to follow after him. Don't let me get ahead and do it my way. Let me follow him that I might not walk in darkness, but that I might have the light of life. There's reason for this, and I'm going to move through this quickly because we're out of time. I told you before we're going to find the reason for the nativity, and we established that, John ten ten that God came, or Jesus came, that we might have abundant life, and then who Jesus is, we established that, that he's the resurrection and the life, and then now who you are. I want to give you a passage of scripture from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5, I want to read verses 8 and 9. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then the call that comes with that follows. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. I want to be in this passage of Scripture. I want to be living this out with who I am. I was formerly darkness. Now I'm light in Jesus. And I want that light to be evident. And of course, the evidence of that or the fruit of that is going to be goodness and righteousness and truth. I'll give you a few passages of scripture, one for goodness. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, speaks of Jesus. It says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about then doing good. And there's your goodness. And what does goodness look like? healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. I want my life to make other people's lives better. Everywhere I go, that's what I want. I want to set people free from the oppression of Satan so that I can produce the fruit of light, goodness, then righteousness. I'll give you a passage of Scripture of righteousness and its resulting wonders. Uh, Romans 8.10, if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead to sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. My spirit man being alive. You know, when your spirit man is alive, you're not talking about being subject any longer to the, the corruption and the bondage that comes from sin and all the activities that come with it. The result of that righteousness is not just right living, but it's life as God would design it goodness and righteousness and then truth. I think that truth needs to be the the result of us living our lives as lives, excuse me, as light in the world. I want to give you a passage of scripture for truth, and we'll be closing with this. It's John 8, 31 and 32. John eight, beginning in verse 31, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. I think the result of a life that's devoted to living as light is going to be freedom. Liberty. The absence of captivity and bondage. I think we have these things set before us not just so that we can come and read them and increase our Bible IQ but I think we have these things set before us so that we can see God's desire for our life in the same way that he described life and prosperity and death and adversity and then let his desire be made known now son choose life that you might live we have these things set before us so that we might see God's desire for our life and examine ourselves wherever I go is there goodness? is there righteousness? Is there truth? When I get involved in a conflict, is the result goodness, righteousness, truth? If not, then I want to adjust and I want to see whatever darkness might be in me purged out of my life so that I might be light, walk in light, and reveal to this world the work that God's done on my behalf through Jesus, all for his glory. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray, and I want to ask God to do a, a work in us. We, you know, we close our our messages like this often. And uh, come moving into 2023, I'm excited to let you know that you know my desire is to, to see more ministry take place. And, and there's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. In fact, any time any ministry takes place, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, whether that's through the laying on of hands or or whether that's through a, a prayer and impartation. But it's God that's at work. I am excited though because I want to get back to the laying on of hands and having, you know, those in the room here that have this wonderful and powerful call on your life to function and minister. This is where this takes place. It's the safest place in Abilene to minister. And I remember a time when, you know, you would close a service and you would ask for your assigned ministry team to come forward and invite people to receive ministry. And, you know, some Sundays there's A lot that come forward other Sundays, maybe not as much, but it's about seeing the body minister. And I'm convinced that uh, our social distancing has come to an end. I'm looking forward to seeing more ministry within the body. But I want to pray this morning, and I want to minister this as an impartation to, to you, to myself as well, that God would stir in us an awareness of the wonder of the Nativity that we wouldn't just see, you know, a baby or Christmas time or hear jingle bells and, you know, Black Friday sales and all that nonsense, but that we would see abundant life, the promise of God fulfilled. You know, and, and perhaps maybe for some of us, some things go up and they don't come down, where it's not just a seasonal thing, but it becomes the thing that makes up who we are as believers. It's a rightful place. I want to pray and I want to ask God to turn our hearts toward Jesus, his birth, the coming of life and the results of that life. And I want to trust that the Holy Spirit's at work in each one of us. May have been specific things that you heard in the message and you know, I need that in my life. And I promise you, if you know you need it, so does he. And there where you stand, you can simply be in the position of saying, you know, God, I want that. By your spirit, will you bring that into my life? Show me what I need to do. I know God's love for us is amazing. He's constantly raising us up in the way we should go. So I want to pray this morning. You're welcome to simply be in a state of agreement or in a posture of receiving. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your fulfilled promise to send our King, our Savior as we turn our eyes to the nativity, let us see the promise of abundant life fulfilled. To be a new and greater awakening in us at the work that's been done on our behalf. That we wouldn't just simply see the sign or the wonder to confirm what is true, but that we would see the truth itself. That you indeed have made a way for the bondage and captivity of darkness, sin and corruption to be removed from our lives. Not just that we might escape damnation, but that we might have the fires of holiness kindled in our lives to be light, that our words and our actions would go and expand your kingdom with goodness and righteousness and truth. Let a work be done in us that would bring you honor and glory, that we would come to know all that's true, be liberated from all that's false, that we would celebrate the wonders of your work, not only in our lives, but through our lives for your glory. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.